0: G'day and welcome to this episode of Runners Only with Dom Harvey, proudly brought to you by Radix Nutrition. Coming up, Di Henwood.
1: Another reason why I wanted to be public was I sort of told a mate who I bumped into who I hadn't seen for five years and, you know, they almost fell over whereas I was quite blasé about it because I've been living. (laughs) You've
0: told the story so many times. Yeah,
1: I've been living with it and sort of I passed on the information. Stage four just means it has moved from one place to
0: another. If you're a New Zealander who claims you don't know who Di Henwood is, I'd probably raise one of my eyebrows and be a little bit sceptical. Di has been a part of the local comedy and TV scene for over 20 years. Starting as a stand-up comedian, he ended up as one of the team captains on Seven Days, a role he held for over a decade. More recently, he has hosted big mainstream TV shows like Family Feud, Dancing with the Stars and Lego Masters. In late January 2023, he announced publicly that he had been living with cancer for three years. So while you and I were dealing with the confusion of pandemics and lockdowns and social distancing and work from home and traffic light systems, Di and his family were dealing with all of that and the shock diagnosis of cancer. His treatment in the last few years has included 14 rounds of chemo, high-dose radiation, three lung surgeries, and having parts of his liver and bowel removed. But after the cancer spread to his lungs and nymph nodes, his oncologist told him that the cancer was incurable. Full disclosure here, I've known Die forever. I first met him when he came in for a radio interview in the early 2000s, and it has been awesome watching him evolve professionally and personally over the years. Naturally, there's a lot of cancer chat in this conversation, but there's also a lot of other stuff about his life and career, which I think is important because, as Dyer has said himself, cancer does not define me. Thank you very much to Radix Nutrition for making this episode possible. Radix Nutrition is made in the Waikato and shipped anywhere in the world. Their protein powders are incredible, especially the banana and coconut, in my opinion. And if you don't do protein shakes already, you really should try. It's not just for gym junkies and juice heads, All of us could do with more protein in our diets to help preserve any muscle you already have. Check them out at radixnutrition.co.nz. That's R-A-D-I-X. All right, let's get into it. Runners Only with Dom Harvey and Di Henwood.
1: Runners only. Yeah, yeah. Let's get it started. Ay, ay, this is Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Uh, fast pace, slow and steady. Any way you coming? Uh, just wanna connect for everyone who loves running. This is Runners Only. Yeah, yeah. Let's get it started. Ay, ay, this is Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Uh,
0: fast pace, slow and steady. Any way you coming? Uh, just wanna connect for everyone who loves running. Hey, Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Runners Only with Dom Harvey. And the legendary Di Henworth. G'day mate. Oh g'day legendary. I love it. <laughs> well I, I mean I was doing some research yesterday and I was thinking about um, how long I've known you and, and you are a legend.
1: Yeah by the way I've seen your research I like it looks very hefty but you've also double spaced it like I used to back in school to make my essay seem longer.
0: Yeah. Also mate I, I turned 50 last week so I need a big font <laughs> otherwise i got to wear the glasses. No
1: I remember, I remember meeting you year, you know back in the old old radio days, yeah. promoting various um, shows for comedy festivals and that. I think it seems like I've been around for ages because I started pretty young. Um, 1997 was when I started doing comedy and I would have been um, – yeah, nineteen? So no, quarter, eighteen then.
0: Yeah, with um th- thick black hair. Like the shiniest black hair imaginable. I had Not like he was swam through an oil slick. Yeah, I had
1: <laughs> I really had a lot of I was always very Hirsute. I had um, my eyes full, guy at school, eyebrows joined in the middle, and they and they joined my hair line. And um, like so, hair. yeah, no, but to prove it, I shaved my head except for a sweatband right. of hair. Because, you know, I was always the one, if you're going to be mocked, you've got to lean into it and own it.
0: Well, my, my first memory of you, I'm not sure if this is the first time we met, but I think it is, um, it was um, the Edge Breakfast Show with uh, JJ, Mike and Dom, we were trying to work at a different level to other shows. So we, 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 when we had comedians and we'd try and sort of rip off the format of you, you know Letterman and Leno, and we'd say to say, Arj Barker, give us a leading question and you can give us some of your routine. And comedians were notoriously protective about their material. So we'd want to say to Arj something like, oh, how was the flight over? And he'd be like, oh, let me tell you about airline food. Da, 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 yeah, da. yeah. But, but comedians were so protective about their routine and we'd be like, you need to understand. It's like if we just give the dates of your show, people aren't going to buy them. They need to think this guy's funny. Where can I see him? And then you came in. You had a CD with an instrumental on, and you you rapped as um, this character you were doing at the time, P Funk Chainsaw. Yeah, and w- you walked out, and we were just blown away. We're like, this guy's the fucking deal. This well, guy's prepared. He's organized. He's funny.
1: So I um I have it's it's like I understand why um comics do that. But then what I don't understand is you you're selling a show. You're going on to do PR for your show. So, you know, a lot of people can come in and then be a bit sullen. They're not answering questions properly. They don't feel like they want to be there. And it's like this is my chance, man. I've got my to get it. To shine. Yeah, I've got yeah. to get out there. And also people listening, if they go, oh, he's funny or he's, that's different, I'll go and see that show. I myself come from a radio background in terms of the fact that I um, was early uh, in radioactive down in Wellington. Um, then when I moved up to Auckland, I did a, like an arts and culture show on Georgie FM when that was just a little tiny thing on Vermont Street in Ponsonby. Um I'd always I dump bits and bobs and commercial radio, yeah, so yeah. I was aware that you've got you've got to have content, mm. and I it also made it fun f- coming in because when I put effort into to to an interview, then the next time I come in, people are like are way more relaxed because they're like, oh sweet, he's bringing something to the table. Mm.
0: I feel like yeah, you, you've just had a level of professionalism before anyone else. and yeah, it's that, something I've always respected. And that's what
1: my dad taught me because yeah. I, I grew up in a theatre, and he was always look. You've it's a job, it is a job. So you've got to work at it, you've got to prepare at it, and also a, a thing he taught me, which I think um, has really stayed with me, is that people actually have quite similar set of skills if you get to a point in an industry where you've moved up a bit, people have a very similar set of skills. So if you're easy to work with and professional, you'll often get the job over other people. Because, you know, if you're hiring someone, you go, oh, they're really fun to work with and they're a real diva. (laughs) Yeah,
0: if someone's a pain in the ass. We'll go with the fun.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And also, it's New Zealand. Word gets around, you know. Even in competing radio stations, everyone to a point is mate so Mm. if it gets around that you're easy and look how many i don't even want to count how many voice breaks you've probably done
0: (laughs) mate i couldn't count either
1: but if you have a guest who comes in uh, regularly and you go right we don't actually need to prep that much they deliver we'll probably get one more voice break out of this than we're hoping Mm. that's gold
0: so now we're recording this in um, early February 2023. You turned 45 on Tuesday. Happy birthday!
1: Thank you very much.
0: Um, do, do, this might seem like a weird question, but do, do birthdays feel different now with your diagnosis?
1: Yeah, I've I've never been a massive birthday person. Like they sort of mark, do mark time, and I've I'm in extrovert on stage but still quite an introvert Yes. Um, and this year I thought I'd have a bigger party we've got a family place out at Pihar by the beach and um, I've had over the last three years I've been private with my diagnosis people sort of knew here and there but I've had a, a, quite a staunch group of around 30 so I wanted to show them some love and put on some kai for them and and had a party and it was a bit different, because um, when you start putting the clock on things a bit more of, or not put putting the clock, because I don't know how much time I have. I might have heaps. I might not. Um, it, just being aware of that clock does make moments stand out a bit more. And it was just, it was awesome, you know. And I yeah. um I I really love turning forty five. I think I actually think um even though, even though my forties has been a bit of a shambles on the health front and not a shambles it's it's been dealing with some heavy stuff it's actually the um the happiest I've been and the most grounded I've been so no it was why an that, awesome birthday
0: what do you think that is um just more like more you're more mindful more appreciative life yeah i'm more
1: or? i sort of feel like I've figured what life is out like I figured it out and um I mean now I um back in the day I I used to go to Japan quite a lot from when I was 13 my dad toured Phantom of the Opera not the Andrew Lloyd Webber Phantom of the Opera there was one was there another <laughs> yeah written by Ken Hill it was actually written before Andrew Lloyd Webber same storyline oh, okay and he'd tour that around Japan and i would go over I went over a couple of times with them and um one of the one of the actors was a buddhist and and she, I had a real I've always had an interest in um sort of spirituality right. i've been allergic to organized religion but something about spirituality and um she took me to a, a zazen temple and i learned zazen meditation and all that and um that 's recently just massively come back into my life, and um i just i I sort of feel way more connected to everyone i don 't have the the i've sort of dropped any hustle and I just like taking what comes along and and living life
0: i feel, I feel like you were like that so you've you've been living with this um I feel like there's an easy timestamp you can put on it. You've been basically dealing with this since the beginning of the pandemic. So, early yeah, 2020. Yeah, it was
1: like April. I was yeah. April 2020. So, we went into lockdown, what, March? Um, and the hardest thing is before that, the, the year before that in August, my father passed away. He had had 18 months of dealing with sort of stroke and stroke induced dementia, and, and dementia uh, which um, was. Uh, Really, really hard. I um, I remember actually one of the first times that had clipped for me. I was doing a radio interview, and they had they thought it'd be funny to ring up my dad and sort of have a. Oh, what station? Wasn't the Edge. Wasn't have it? a back and forth, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then just it was during that I went. Shit, Dad's not quite
0: right. there. Not sharp or not Yeah, as usual. or just
1: not yeah, just different and missing a couple of things and then it was like, um oh wow, that that it um something's up there. Then I took him to like a rugby game and we'd scored these lovely tickets in a box and there are a couple of ex all blacks from when I was a kid, sort of in day's, dad's heyday and like he's not recognising sort of these old, old school, all black legends. And I was like, oh, this is something's a bit weird there. So, so it's dealing with that. Then dad passed away. And then sort of a few months later, and I'm an only child. So it meant, um, mum and I sort of were, were pillars for each other. There wasn't a, a wider family to share that with. And, um, and then cancer diagnosis came along at the same time. I got funding for a lockdown TV show that I was shooting in my garage with. Where I was the camera person. My son, who was seven at the time, was <laughs> yeah, trying to I run the camera. Yeah, it was, was and try. it was it was awesome because it was a real a real Kiwi number eight wire show that f- fit the time of lockdown.
0: Absolutely. Lemon out of lemonade. Lemonade out of lemons. Yeah, completely. But at that same
1: time, I was going through, figuring out I, I had bowel cancer or colorectal cancer as they call it, and it was in my bowel and in my liver. Um, this is the one thing about cancer I hadn't figured out. You have So now I have bowel cancer, but it's only in my lungs. It's not mm. in my bowel. I'd never thought... So when it changes, it's still the same cancer. Yeah,
0: you think lung if it's in your lung, it's, it's lung, lung cancer. cancer.
1: Yeah, but so so it sort of as had spread, and I knew nothing about cancer. I've had no cancer in our family, mm. so I was like, well, I was suddenly just chucked into this learning curve, mm. and when you suddenly, I've always been very. Um, Hands on with my own life and very responsible for my own life, and then I was chucked into this situation where it was I have to lean on people who know things. And so I've got I suddenly went from having no doctors in my contacts list to now like <laughs> I've got so many specialists Most
0: frequently called numbers, <laughs>
1: so many specialists in that, um, uh. and then it was just scans. Straight into chemotherapy. I didn't even know how you did chemotherapy. I had to get a port, which I've still got in my chest, that connects to an arterial line, and they sort of jab you at Pulp Fiction to plug you in. (laughs) And um, I was scared of chemotherapy, just from TV. Who who wouldn't be? Just from TV, though, because I was like, Everyone on TV shows is staggering around with a bandana and
0: yeah, bald, thin, pale, sick-looking, yeah, look, very frail and vomiting, uh, yeah. non-stop for days on end.
1: And I'm not saying it's it's much different to that because it's really hard. So I went into chemo, but then I had to learn. I went like I'm a, I'm a learner. I've always been intrigued with. Back in the day, I suppose it was like fads, you know, like I was. Very early on to your Wim Hof ice bath thing. Then he was out early, you know. Back in the day, he used to come to Todonga and just go and sit in the streams. Yeah, yeah. So, like a dude said, come meet Wim Hof, and I and I I went down, but I missed him. It was and so I was big into your ice baths. I was big into your breathing techniques, and so I went right. I've got to start researching, and um, I've or I've. I think people who aren't passive patients for anything have better outcomes. So instead of just...
0: You mean more engaged and... Yeah, who aren't
1: just I walk in, I sit down, I listen to this,
0: they say do this, I do that. Right, being as proactive as you can.
1: Yeah, of learning, okay, now, chemo, what what are we trying to achieve with chemo? Because chemo doesn't cure Mm. cancer. No oncologist ever claims chemo cures cancer. It's a tool and to, you're trying to reduce all the tumour load basically and then cut it out or, fingers crossed, your body yeah. figures out how to do it.
0: I, I feel like that's um that's a good attitude you've got because it's sort of like you're the CEO of your own body, right?
1: Yeah, and so I went – at the end of the day, it comes down to me. I, so I was like, how do I make my body as healthy as I can to do chemo? How What tools can I use to tolerate chemo better? So then I just started researching, reading all scientific papers I could sort of... Unfortunately, with something like cancer, there's a lot of snake oil that comes along with it. I I put that down to the fact that no one knows where cancer comes from, no one knows how to cure cancer Mm. properly, so...
0: And I suppose out of desperation, people will try anything.
1: Exactly. So I... I You have to start being very wary of sources and that And there's a lot of good info out there And so I was like I I stumbled across things like Okay, if you fasted in in and out of chemo It made you tolerate it better And it had more efficacy So I went, I'll give that a bash And then I went Shit, this actually massively helped me deal with chemo And there were some studies behind it And I'd sort of show my oncologist the studies and go, to me, this says I should do it. What am I missing? Like, I obviously can't, I'm not trained to read yeah, these. Yeah. And he, he sort of has been so supportive. And also that thing of, if it's not toxic and it's not going to hurt the treatment I'm doing, then mm. I'll, I'll give it a go. And then I went from chemo to got almost half my liver removed I got my bowel, half of my, well, a huge section of my bowel taken out, and I had an ileostomy bag, which is... a, a People mainly know colonoscopy. Right. So ileostomy bags, the exact same principle, just on a different part of your bowel.
0: So you still have that now, or no, do they...? No, so right.
1: I had that for three months, and then while a bowel where the, they stitch the bowel together sort of reconnects... Um, and then got it reversed, but while I was getting it, re- in that they found some stuff in my lungs. On which I just—they dis- rang me on my birthday. <laughs> I remember it. I'd taken my daughter. Do- my daughter, who she's six now, she's four. She, like, staying in a hotel over the, overnight was amazing. So we, I took her to a hotel and we stayed overnight oh. and had pizza. And we'd just gone for a swim and came back and get a call. And then, hey, we've found three. You're all clear, but we've found three
0: so it's spots just you, in your lung. Just your, you and your daughter in the hotel? Not yeah, your no, and your just son. me
1: and my, my daughter. We're like having him. a daddy-daughter thing. And then I was...
0: Do you manage to get, like keep a brave face on for her or like yeah, how do that, you that
1: sort of just put me in a spin because that was a moment yeah. every with cancer there's never any as nothing's black or white there's never good news or bad news everything is gray everything has so it's like we've found these three spots but we can where they are we can operate mm. So then, when I had my bowel removed, I had one lung operation. Then I went back a month later and had another lung operation. Lu- luckily, due to my um, breathwork and everything, I had sturdy lungs, and and I, I tolerated the yeah. the the um, the surgeries well. And then sort of came out, and then. In September, just before we went into that weird lockdown, you know, that that one that went up to Christmas, where only Auckland was in it. That's
0: December 2021.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was clear. It was all clear. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. Then my blood started going weird in December. And then uh, last year in May, they found another spot, which I got taken off. And then I had a break and I thought things were going well and then they found 10 more tumours in my lungs um, and one against a lymph node in my pipe, in my windpipe. And they were, were like, well, we can't, actually, we can't operate on, there's too many to operate on. I mean, you could take a whole lung out, but then that actually causes more that would impact my life more than at the moment yeah. having them there so i went back into chemo which was so confronting because it was a thing i didn't want to do because chemo is really full on
0: mm. um, is it what are they so they um they inject you with it right yeah so like i go in
1: you get plugged in in your chest and then i sit in there in the the hospital for about four hours, four to five hours. Then I'd take it away in a baby's bottle on a bum bag for two <laughs> days where you just sort of cruise around feeling yeah. a bit um, whacked out. And yeah,
0: what's it? What's it what, yeah, is there anything you can compare it to? Is it like really it's like a having a, a brutal
1: hangover, yeah. right? It's a brutal hangover, which is a similar, I think it's similar because it's, your poison. liver your liver's yeah. processing all this poison and um so the one th- the only thing that really got me through was THC and medicinal cannabis because it's like um what it's proven to have In terms of efficacy of helping chemo, of helping you tolerate chemo, Um, it helped me amazingly through my surgeries because I can't take opioids like Mm. tramadol and that. They just.
0: They react badly. Yeah, I
1: get really upset stomach and constipation and all that. So I was blessed to um, sort of discover. I'm um, not like I discovered weed. I've lived in New Zealand. <laughs> I've recreationally yeah, used it, yeah. but um, then actually discovering and, the
0: medicinal qualities. Yeah, of yeah
1: and yeah. using yeah. it medicinally rather than um, just recreationally. So that massively helped. And then it was for me. It was just working on mindset the whole time, working on mindset and um and trying to. Because the thing is, what, the, the things they know that you can, you can help is basically um, exercise, diet, sleep, and meditation are things that... Is,
0: I feel like um, you were doing all that stuff pre the diagnosis, eh? Maybe for a couple of years? Before. I feel like there was a transition in your life.
1: There was. Oh, I'd so you got, were doing all that stuff? I got, basically spent 10 years trying to get sober, and then I got sober in 2019. And um, I I'd been transitioning that way. I've been, I've always, the thing was I've always been relatively fit, mm. and that's where a lot of anger came in because I'd be out and see people who are morbidly obese, smoking ciggies and smashing a pie, and I'm like, you know, just sure. I've lived, I've lived i I've had my hard times and my party times, but not. Yeah, not not drastically more yeah, than other people. Yeah. So there was a lot of anger that I had to deal with, um, and I'm a classic passive aggressive Kiwi from back in the day. You know, I didn't let my anger out; it just bubble up in weird ways. Like,
0: are hey, I don't see that in you at all. I,
1: I had it quite well. Uh, yeah, I definitely had a passive aggressive sort of side and i was never when i was a boozer or a party i was never aggressive i was Mm. full party guy which sort of was detrimental in a way because then people don't see that you could be suffering with a booze issue yeah right and um and i started to get all my emotions under check and i wasn't getting angry i was meditating more I was bringing more meditation, I suppose, to everyday life. And that the hardest thing is, I oh, know you're a runner. I was loving my running. Uh, starting. Yeah, I saw
0: you at a, even the Queenstown Marathon. I saw yeah, I, love, I love
1: the Queenstown Marathon. I sort of um, – I'd done – two half marathons and then, um, you know, I was still running mm. half marathons quite regularly just in training and I was always sort of under two hours. I was, um, you know, so I was in a nice place and I was at that point where I was like, well, I'm regularly, I'm getting under two hours now. I could really push for a quicker mm-hmm. half marathon. Maybe I will try a marathon. And, um, and then just, with chemo, the running, just, I couldn't run.
0: Yes, that's right.
1: It was just, so then I had to realise, actually, I'm trying to exercise too hard out. Mm. I need to just do everything slowly, you know, like, instead of doing, I was, um before my diagnosis, I, I was having this amazing time training Um with Monty Beetham and his sort of – he had a small group of people he was really training up, and it was just hardcore exercise, boxing, physical cardio, weights, a bit of everything. And then I was like, I've got to do the opposite of this. I've got to work out slowly. So I was like – Like
0: walking or –
1: Like, so instead of going, right, I'm going to 100 push-ups today, I'm going to do 20 slow, perfect push-ups – I went, I can't touch my toes properly. I'm going to get to a point where I can squat um, in a full deep squat for five minutes, sort of, you know, like you'd see in Mm. Indonesia or something, how um, uh, those sort of cultures just squat the whole time. So it's like, I'm going to learn to squat. I'm going to really work on my... Knees. There was a guy, Knees Over Toes. Knees Over Toes.
0: Oh, very familiar with Knees Over Toes. So I went
1: Knees Over Toes, guys. (laughs) So I started adopting a few of those. And I went, I'm going to go for mobility and strength, Mm -hmm. slow strength and that. And that sort of really worked. And walking, like doing an hour walk a day, um, which is a blessed, blessed we got a dog just after my diagnosis, and I've never been an animal person. I mean, I've had two
0: fish and a turtle in my time. But, <laughs> yeah, fish don't count. Yeah, why? 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 What was the decision to get a dog?
1: My wife loved dogs. Mm. The kid sort of wanted a dog. It was the perfect. Dis- oh,
0: so, it was, so it was nothing to do with the diagnosis. It was
1: no. It sort of was yeah. a little bit, and it was. Um, it was the perfect distraction, and. Okay. Um, Animals, like, I mean, there's there's so much proof in with animals of just patting them, hanging out with them, how much it helps. Oh,
0: it's so cathartic. Your
1: body yeah. as well. Yeah. So and it also means when I didn't feel like going for a walk, I was like, oh, we've got to... The dog's gotta have a walk. And then once you're out, uh, you'd you'd know it with running so many times you're on the borderline of maybe not wanting to, but once you actually get a few K's under your belt, you're
0: happy you went out. Oh yeah, the endorphins. Yeah, you never regret going out for a run.
1: No, so I'd take the dog out for an hour, um and then I'd just work where I could on on my um on my fitness and then I read this amazing book by this guy called Tim Baker, who he is a a surfer he's a professional surf writer um and he got stage four prostate cancer and prostate cancer is a whole nother kettle of fish because they have to remove all the testosterone from your body you Mm -hmm. basically get chemically castrated it's a bit almost similar to um if you're going through transition um so, and he got it quite young, so it's quite confronting for a young guy to have their testosterone removed. It creates a lot of hormone imbalance right. and stuff. So, he wrote this book and he said, just focus on your meds, which was meditation, exercise, diet, and sleep. And it's a really confronting book, but it gave me so much power.
0: Is that because it's sort of like focusing on the things you can control? Yeah, yeah.
1: and he, he he's a big proponent for integrative oncology, which there isn't a lot of, which is about empowering people with um, knowledge around nutrition, mm. knowledge around spiritual practices, which uh, traditionally Western medicine has stepped away from mm. because it's very hard to prove nutrition is you can 't prove nutrition's role in a way yeah. in cancer because it's very hard to study nutrition because people lie about what they eat and so forth <laughs> so i I just took that on board that really helped me then I was like, I need to get I need to be public. This was nagging away at me, and I never wanted to go public early in my diagnosis because it wasn't i didn't want to crying. Thing right. that was about the cancer. I wanted to get get it out there in a way to show people I'm living with cancer.
0: Mm. Yeah, I wanted to want to ask you about that because the day we we're recording this, it was exactly two weeks ago that the um, incredible interview that you did with Jackie Brown on the project uh, went out. So it was like five minutes of TV time and then a 45-minute clip on YouTube, which um, I've watched twice. And it's a – have you watched it? It's a hard fucking watch.
1: Yeah, it's
0: you, – you, I mean, Jack, Jack, Jack is a good friend of yours. She did a good job. But you just your, like, your vulnerability and just complete transparency it's
1: Yeah, it's – that was the hardest thing in terms of um, coming out to talk about it because I'm – I've always been – I don't know whether this is – a, a comedian thing or a, I'm quite transparent and quite authentic so my thing is once I got going on the interview I couldn't really hide mm. anything that hiding things is not is not me and that's also part of why I started to um want to be more public with it yeah. was because I do stand up. I do corporate talks and that. And I, it was like there was this it's a big part of your life that this you're... elephant in the room mm. that I'm not talking about, and I'm just sort of mucking around. And then I was like, actually, if I added this into my talks, I could really help people because there's all these tools that yeah. I'm using that could translate to different.
0: Not to mention, from a personal perspective, massive weight off your shoulders uh, yeah. as well. And can, can I say, like, you, you, and I don't know if this, I think this is a good thing, but I don't know, you, you wore a very good mask.
1: I've been very blessed to look very healthy yeah. through this whole thing.
0: Yeah, you look great today. So
1: I did, I was doing seven days while I was doing chemo. I had chemo attached to me, <laughs> and I was doing seven days. Um, uh, so. Uh, I think because I just – I get so m- – I love doing comedy and I love my job. Was
0: it like a nice distraction?
1: Yeah, it was because there is a day in there when you're doing chemo when you actually feel okay. Well, I felt okay. Mm. I can never talk for anyone who's going through anything like that. Um, but it worked for me. It was a coping thing mm. for me. And um, I I just didn't feel – at those times I didn't feel um, – that I wanted to talk about It it felt too personal for me yeah, yeah. It also is something that A diagnosis like this is just as heavy I believe on a partner as it is on me So any going public affects my wife mm. We're sort of quite We've got a, quite a private little family Yeah, you are, you are um, And, and it, then it just suddenly felt right And about December last year I was actually, I think it's time to, to go public and then it was sort of working out the timing of it and all that sort of carry on because I mean I, I have been the amount of messages I've got I've just been blown away mm. by so many positive ones. Just
0: an outpouring of love.
1: Yeah, the old one that is. Yeah, this <laughs> just proves you're a shill for Jacinda, which I don't quite what?
0: <laughs> I, I, what?
1: I don't what quite know that? how you draw that bow yeah. from watching that, but some people are some people. Um but like 99% of um of
0: but I'm, I'm not – you can't be surpri- – I'm not surprised. You can't be surprised. I mean, no one ever has a bad word to say about Di Henwood, and this is a product of, um, I don't know, what you've done. Yeah, but I think you, – You've brought only nothing but positivity into the world.
1: I think my, my, th- my thing has always been, since the beginning, my slogan was sort of, I'm just a Kiwi trying to have a good time, mm. and that's what a lot of Kiwis are. And um, I've always been in my work – quite picky about things and right from the the get-go um i've been more concerned about the saying no rather than saying yes and then um if something's not fuck yes then it's no and so i i was doing I was in the pissed comic role on C four, just making some crazy shows. The That's
0: f- what I remember. Insert video. Insert here video one. here. Roll, roll or or die. die. Yeah, you were. You'd, you'd go. A lot of people won't even remember this, and a lot of it won't even be on YouTube. But uh, this was a crazy time in New Zealand where you could buy these um, like synthetic cannabis, like chronic and those and BZ, party pills. Bzp party pills. Uh, New. I don't know if you were on them or pretending to be on them, but you played this like crazy tweaked out guy. Yeah,
1: so (laughs) I, this is a time, this is where I cannot believe that the cannabis referendum fell over. (laughs) When we're a country where you could buy. BZP party pills from the dairy, like Euphoria and Red Hearts.
0: <laughs> That's right? Oh, they, the worst hangover And slophers. they
1: just—they yeah. were quite good at the time, but then you just have this grinding, dry headache, migraine for days, migraine for days. And so I was in that role, and then that got so much. I'd go out, and we'd just get mobbed by people because we were talking to people on the street. We're in random places. Um, and i just get mobbed in the street. I remember going down to the Buskers Festival in Christchurch, showing up to my venue, and there was a queue round the block. And I was like, shit, this has taken off. And I just had a ball that then played into me drinking too much. Then Seven Days came along, which was amazing. I just loved that. And then... As I sort of matured, these other options came up, Family Feud, which was just such a joy to do, um, Dancing with the Stars and Lego, where I've sort of calmed down and changed my audience, but at the same time, it's people that grew up with me and then might have kids or the um, people who are in their early teens that have got mm. older.
0: And it's been really nice watching that. Um, actually, I, I've sort of watched it from a, a position of pride, but also... Uh, almost like a position of envy in a way, because I had, this, <laughs> I had the same job that entire time. and um, So I was doing breakfast radio on the edge, which is a, a, like a youth, like an inverted commas, top 40 station. So I was sort of growing up and evolving as a person, but you had to do a lot of the same shtick. And here you were, you were no longer the, the crazy BZP party pull guy. You were going into these more sophisticated roles, and your comedy sort of changed, and it was lovely watching that evolution. It was really, it was really. Yeah, good.
1: it's so funny when you say um, envy, because then from the other side of the fence, the amount of times I've been at home going. I quite like just a breakfast radio job where I can focus on one thing, and so it's that it's it's a human, you know, it's human. Yeah. It's always you go. Actually, I wouldn't mind that because sure, I do this gig, but then I have a bit of downtime here, and then I'm taking on some jobs I don't really want to do, and so yeah. no, it's just it's just <laughs> want, life. Yeah.
0: No, not not a not a not a bad sort of envy, like fuck, die, um, like a good sort of envy. Yeah. But it's like I'm sitting here talking about the Kardashians again, and. He's getting to
1: age. <laughs> the depressing. The depressing <laughs> thing is um, going over to. So we we go over to um, Aussie like for something like Family Feud, to get a vibe of how the Australians do it. What what a day looks like filming shows and all that. And so I'll go over for that, and then went over and was hang out with Hamish Blake, um, oh, yeah. a yep. little bit, and Argent. then and then just sussing out going. Oh, you Aussies get paid quite differently <laughs> to us Kiwis, eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just because they're, they're niche over there. If you're in a niche, you know, sure you've got a top radio show over there that's printing Oh, yeah. Money.
0: Hamish and Andy, two hours a day, or something. I think it's just one show a week. Right? I've never, millions.
1: never seen people whose pay goes up in their work. <laughs>
0: Their work rate seems to go down. They went oh
1: to a podcast, you're getting paid the same amount. And so then uh, that sort of built the thing up of just, okay, I've got to love what I do because the, mo- like the money, ironically I'm in the one industry where the money seems to get less over time because <laughs> TV and radio are the things that are now now because advertising is everywhere on the internet, those spots... You know a spot, and I remember promoting a show, right? And I got sponsorship from um, I think one one time from the Edge, one time from War FM, and one time from the Rock, and um, they gave me some breakfast spot ads, and you could see how much they impacted ticket sales because that right oh, it actually worked. Oh, yeah, amazingly, yeah. because advertising was so sought after because it wasn't like you go online and you know how now your brain's almost trained to avoid ads because <laughs> i'll visit a site even a site like the herald or stuff how, that have a splash ad yeah. and by the time i'm reading an article i couldn't tell you what that ad was for you know how you're, you're pra- made, it's
0: like, yeah, it's like with me with youtube it's like i'm hovering on the remote waiting for their five yeah. seconds
1: and so now ads are everywhere <laughs> You could tune them out a little bit more, but I think I think they're still very they still uh, have that effectiveness on um, on in media. But no, they were just gold. Yeah, gold getting those ads.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. So, since we've um, taken a, like a, a break from the cancer chat, and we're back onto your career, um, maybe we should just sit here for a little bit. Um, can we go? Can we go right back? What were you? What, so, you, you, your mum. Caroline, District Court Judge, yeah. Dad Ray. I'm five years older than you, so I rem- remember your dad on a TV show called Gliding On, uh, cl- which we like- used to watch. It was an iconic New Zealand show. And what were you like as a kid?
1: Well, um, Gliding On, ironically, was New Zealand's longest running comedy show before, and then Seven Days took that over. So, uh-huh. yeah, Gliding uh-huh. On, Gliding On went for six years. I think I grew up on the set of Gliding On out at. Um, out in um, Avalon in Lower Hutt. I was I was a gregarious kid. As I mentioned before, I was an only child. I um, was always a performer. I remember when I was five. Um, I remember making a group of people laugh, and I, I wish I knew what I said or did, but I remember the feeling I got, yeah. the swell the There's buzz of just making these people laugh that I knew I wanted to be in comedy and every time I started doing drama, I always ended up as the funny guy um, and it just started taking off and then I discovered um, a friend of mine at primary school had an Eddie Murphy uh, delirious, the, his famous first um, outing, um in his leather red suit. Red suit, the red suit. The red leather
0: Has, has not aged well. No. <laughs> it was the, great though. It was yeah, incredible.
1: There's some horrifically problematic jokes on that.
0: Oh <laughs> when he's when he's yeah, yeah I, I can't even say with the homophobic slur in the front door Yeah, line.
1: There, there's there's a lot of the F word and not the swearing F word, mm. the bad F word. Um <laughs> uh, if you take those out of it And there were his just timing, and he had these amazing routines about his family, and that just, and also as a kid, there was so much swearing in it, Mm. and it was just,
0: it just blew your mind. Was it like it was? It was the world's best comedian at the peak of his yeah. It was
1: electric, and he so he was eighteen when he did that. Was he? Which blew me away. Yeah. So he was eighteen. He was twenty when he did Beverly Hills Cop. Mm. And he was 21 when he did Raw, um, and the best thing about Beverly Hills Cop um, is Sylvester Stallone <laughs> was originally cast as his role, and they started shooting with it.
0: Really, as Axel, Axel as Axel Foley,
1: yeah. And um, then they went a completely different direction, <laughs> and he was at So th- that got me into it. Then I was travelling, and Mum wanted me to get a present for a friend, and I got him a VHS of Robin Williams live at the Met. Robin Williams just then took it to another level for me, and Robin Williams became my favourite comic. Um, his specials were just out of this world. Yeah. And you know a good comic, when I would watch, he would be referencing these American politicians I'd never heard of, but I'd still be laughing yeah. just because his delivery is so funny. So I became obsessed with stand-up. Then went, I don't know how to get into stand-up in New Zealand. There wasn't really stand-up. Well,
0: yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you you and a bunch of others have sort of paved the way where it's a viable thing now, but I I don't know where you'd start back then.
1: No, because we had comics, like Billy T, but he wasn't doing stand-up clubs like the classic. Mm. He was doing um, variety nights, you know, where he'd do a bit of singing and people would come on and then the, you had John Clark as well but he was TV personality and then when i came through there were people ahead of me like um Mike King yeah um yeah. Sugar and Spice Tadata Andrew Clay Andrew others, Clay yeah. that Brendan Lovegrove they were they were doing stuff and then we came up from Wellington to Auckland for a, a comedy competition and I Human I, Gilmore was MCing. Rest in Peace and he, we did, I did a double act with a, a girl called Anna Kennedy and it it went well and Ewan was, you've got to keep at this, man. And then we started gigging. This was before the Classic opened and...
0: So how old were you then? Like 17,
1: 17? 17 and we're just down the road from where we were recording this at Kitty O'Brien's, which Amazing. was sort of behind um, Victoria Park yep. Market. And did that, then the Classic opened, this was in April of 97, then the Classic Comedy Bar opened um, at the end of 97, and I started performing there, and then it just took off, I moved up to Auckland, I put all my eggs in the Comedy Basket, I, um, Reese Darby and I got a flat together, and um, sort of came, just came, came through, I was lucky enough to come through with Legends of like when I was working and performing in Wellington, it was there was Tyker and Jermaine. Um, Clement had a double act,
0: you don't even need to say the last. Yeah, word. I know everyone, any you're good. New Zealand knows who I'm
1: talking <laughs> about. Tyker and Jermaine had a double act, um, Brett McKenzie, and then moved up here and was with Rhys Darby and Justine Smith. and and just amazing comics have all gone on in various ways. And then I suppose the hardest part in my career where I almost gave up was travelling. Um, I was doing Melbourne and Edinburgh in 2003. Oh, was this
0: the Edinburgh Fringe Festival? Yeah. So, so that was 20 years ago, so you were 25. Yeah, 20... So you'd been doing it a long time. Yeah, i have been right? doing it,
1: and I'd won the Billy T Award in, in 2002, I'd sort of that had given me a bit of money and a bit of courage, and um, the the Concords had been done one year I think over in Edinburgh, and they'd come over, man, and we shared it. Me and Brett, Brett and Jermaine, and myself, and my um, tech, who was a really good mate, had a flat together.
0: Right, because you and Brett were you, you grew up together, right? You, well, didn't we, you play cricket together we when you were like six.
1: Cricket together when yeah, we we're five or six. Right. And um, then we went to the same college, and we did sort of drama productions together. Then after after college finished, I was in a couple of um, fringe productions um, with him, and I've and he was actually in one of my festival shows. And um, I've always had so much love and respect for him, just as a as a person, let alone yeah. let alone and. He was in the Black Seeds, who I used to travel around with because my best mate, um, Barney, is their singer. So during summer, I'd just travel around with the Black Seeds. And um, so then go to Edinburgh, living with the Flight of the Concords, they're at the bottom of their hockey stick. Rise to fame.
0: Was <laughs> oh, that when TVNZ wanted they they were prepared to do a show with them, but they wanted to change everything about it. <laughs> yeah, and they went no, right. and look what happened. Yeah.
1: Um, so they were they were at the point where they were selling out, but to comedians, the room was just full of comics because gotcha. the word had got round that these guys were hot. Then they just got their BBC radio show, and they were just ramping up. So we'd come. After after our shows or whatever, we'd have a beer or somewhere or we'd meet back at our flat, I would be cancelling shows because no one was showing up or mm. everyone was w- walking out of my shows and they were, like, they were just flying. So I remember... Shit, it's
0: not a career for the faint, is it?
1: No, I remember sitting on the corner of bed just in breakdown of... Um, too many hangovers and hard times and Brett just sitting sort of chatting me through it. And um just that juxtaposition of wow, these guys have found the magic mm. and I'm so far away from that.
0: Was that sort of like a breakdown, would you say?
1: Yeah, it was it it was because I lost not only was it emotional, I would have lost around ten thousand pound. Mm. Um because Edinburgh works on a situation where you need to be about 40% full to pay the venue, let alone your producer's fee all that. So even if you're successful, you lose money pretty much. (laughs) So why would you do that job? (laughs) And then I came back, and I don't know why I kept going, but I just kept going, and I reinvented. Myself, I. Because what were
0: you doing? In it? Were you doing like P-Funk, Chainsaw, yeah, so and uh, John D. Bank? Yeah, I
1: was doing character, right. late 90s character comedy. I
0: guess. Right. Do you think part of that in hindsight was um, kind of fear in a way? So you, it's easier to hide behind a character than actually being yourself on stage?
1: No, or? it wasn't fear so much as I came through from an acting background. So I thought you did characters on stage.
0: Also, a name you mentioned before, John Clark, who was Fred Dagg. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose if you grow up on that. And,
1: um, weirdly, when I was in Melbourne, having a similar failing experience, (laughs) halfway through I went out for lunch with John Clark, and, um he was sort of giving me a few tips and that, and it still just, it was like, well, the great tips, but how do I just get anyone to come and see my shows? (laughs) And I remember he, I think he came along, and Alan Bro, who was a great New Zealander who sort of got adopted by Australia, and um, it was a struggle. It was a real struggle, and I came back and went, actually, I'm going to ditch the characters. I'm just going to be myself. And then I went back to Edinburgh, and I didn't do a solo show. I did lineup shows. Um, nothing came out of it, but I was getting great response. Then I went back through Melbourne, and I met um, met the woman Joe, who became my wife. And then everything started to pick up. Then I did a Monday night at the Classic, hosting a rookie night, and um, Andrew Schusterman from C4 was there, and he said, do "You want a TV show." I said yeah, and he said sweet. You start next week. This is a guy who'll film it. I'll email you what it's about and go and make it.
0: So that was the beginning of C four. So it was like insert video here. Yeah. So this is yeah, this right.
1: is C four. Would have been on what around maybe for a year or mm. so before that, but but was just music. It just sort of had you know Severe and Nick D and that doing the music sort of shows.
0: That's right. Yeah, and even Clark Gayford was doing
1: a show. Yeah, Clark had a show, Severe was doing major flavours. Yeah, John Pryor was
0: doing a rock show. Yeah, yeah John yeah, John yeah. was but a rock shows, yeah.
1: And then I came on and did comedy between insert video here was comedy random comedy throw throw to a song, but it was under a broad theme. So I do uh, best songs for house parties, we'd go to a house party in Ranui, almost get stabbed, <laughs> stop someone from being sexually assaulted. <laughs> Thinking back on it, it was just, I remember one thing, like we're going around the house party, just open the door and it's just three dudes smoking pee and the one guy seriously about to sexually assault this woman, we bust in very quickly. My camera person quickly gauges the scene. I gauge the scene. So I just run straight up to her, just, hey, guys, having a good night, straight up to her, chucked her over my shoulder. We walked straight out of the house party, called a cab, and so get, just get gave her some cash and went, just get in this cab and go home. Um, this party's wow, this, that didn't
0: make it to air. No,
1: no, 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 no. This party's not <laughs> going in the right direction, yeah, and I yeah. think those dudes are not gonna do. It's not going to end well. Um, but it was those moments, and that particular moment was: "This is going too far, man. We're at this. Why are we in Rano at a house party?" <laughs> This is just like, this is the, this, this is, you know, you if you were scoping out a location, that's not what you would be.
0: Wow, it's, it's amazing. So do you, do you think had you not um, made that transition to go from character to being yourself that you would have ended up just giving it giving it away at some point?
1: Yeah, I...
0: I suppose you were, you, you, if you're like eight years deep and it wasn't working, there's got to be some point where you go, I need to get a job.
1: Yeah, I... That was always there. So I worked – I'd always been someone who um, I wanted to work and I wanted to earn money. I mean, um, along the way, when times had got tough, I was very blessed that my parents sort of helped me out here and there. But they were very strict in terms of the fact of give yourself five years, this shit's not working out, you're going to have to figure out how yeah, to support yeah. yourself. Cause so I worked in – I worked double shifts in bars, I worked in um, One Red Dog, I managed at One Red Dog in Ponsonby for ages, um, had the joy of um, meeting the wonderful Sumo Stevenson, Scotty Stevenson, <laughs> who he was the king of lime bar at the time. <laughs> um, and I always worked hard, I played hard, and then I did comedy, and then luckily comedy comedy became the job and I was a hustler as well I was doing I was convincing Microsoft to hire me for corporate gigs before I had any skills I um there was a wonderful um ad agency called Republic that also is just around the corner from here they um they really helped me out by believing in me and hiring me for a few corporate gigs I was doing I sort of got intertwined with xbox early on um so I, I did hustle to I was very determined to go and whenever I got booked for something I would make damn sure I'd do a, a, a good, good job a yeah, good job you deliver. and um and sometimes sometimes it didn't go according to plan. I was you mentioned the character John the bank teller. It was this bank teller from rural Taranaki that I do. I, I hired to do this corporate gig. I go on. I do twenty minutes. I didn't get one laugh, and it was beyond not getting a laugh. It was like, this room is full of ice, and it's quite hostile, and I don't know why. I walk off stage, and the organiser like, runs up. what the fuck are you doing? What are you doing, man? I mean, what do you mean? He went, this gig's for ASB, and one of their bank tellers was killed in an armed robbery, like two days ago. And I'm doing this bank teller who, uh, one big bit of mine is about a robbery. Mm, mm, mm. And so it's like, then I look back on it and go, oh my God, it's like I've gone out and done the most distasteful 20 minutes of comedy. You
0: didn't didn't read the Herald that morning.
1: No, and then it's like, wow, that, um, that really explains the hostility. And then thinking back on it, it's... Uh, very, Because comics love more than more in, than anything a good death story. When comics sit around, you just talk about your worst gigs, basically.
0: Yeah. I suppose, you, yeah, good death stories as long as you've got a, enough um, successful stories. Oh, yeah, as long so, as you're in a good
1: place <laughs> yeah, now. If they're all death stories. If <laughs> they're all death stories, it's just <laughs> desperately yeah. tragic.
0: So um, so you mentioned your wife Jo before, so you met her in Australia?
1: Yeah, she's a Kiwi from West right. Auckland. Um, she was living in Melbourne. I um, I had had an amazing time over in Britain with um a guy who's a great friend, Jesse Griffin, who um he oh, yes. he does the amazing um uh, Wilson Dixon character. He w- he lived in Melbourne for ages, so um we really hit it off over in the UK. I flew back, stayed with him, um for a month, and um then met, met my wife and then we started really how old
0: were you guys then
1: the i don't know 2005 so late 20s right late 20s and um it's just a really glorious time i great mates over in melbourne mm. um my friend justine smith who's a comic over here she was my best man at my wedding. And she was living in Melbourne at the time, had good mates there, so I started going back and forth to Melbourne for a bit. And then um, Joe moved over here, and she started working as an arts publicist, and we just hit it off. I knew the second I met her that I wanted to marry her. Which oh, was dude, you? Yeah, I was awesome.
0: going to, yeah, I was going to ask if it was like love at first sight or a slow burn.
1: It was, was love it? at first sight.
0: Both ways. Uh,
1: Potentially <laughs> Potentially. We I mean we, we love each other so much yeah, and yeah. um and so we've been together since um we started dating in two thousand and six and then we just um got married and she's been an absolute rock for me through um me being a booze hound to um she gave up booze as well. It just wasn't working for either of us and um then she's just been a rock through through this and, yeah, and yeah, the yeah, the yeah. hurt and the pain my diagnosis has, um had on her as well as me is just pretty insane mm.
0: yeah how is she she's
1: yeah. she's really good i mean everything it's waves man that this whole cancer thing it's waves you'll be great. It's, it's this, I actually liken it a bit to, to grief, where grief, when you initially have grief around a death or something, that grief hits you all the time, and it just knocks you for six, and then as time passes, the grief hits you less, but it's just as strong, so you get the same shit feelings, but. Just less of the time, and it comes in waves. I mean, we're in a great spot now. Where I'm, I I did treatment all to the end of right up to Christmas last year. I finished chemo two days before Christmas, doing sort of another five rounds of that. I did heavy radi- radiation, and now I'm at a point where I'm sort of. I can work, I'm feeling great, I, I spend a lot of January studying sort of scientific papers and drawing up a protocol for myself to use health-wise for the next three months to see if I can slow the progression of, of tumours or stop the progression of tumours um, and so when I scan in May I'll see whether this protocol I've sort of
0: has worked put together yeah. has,
1: has worked Um. So I really enjoy that, but yeah. then the the what I'm doing is just um, is making me feel really healthy as yeah. well. So so
0: so the the treatment you had just prior to Christmas, what what does that do? Does that like shrink the?
1: Yeah, the aim was basically to shrink the tumours as much as possible yeah. to buy me. I, I I liken this to trying to keep a classic car on the road. Um, <laughs> like we don't have the exact parts we need at the moment so we just need to keep the rust out keep everything ticking along because there is great advances being made in the cancer space Mm. um and you never know what's going to happen you never know my body might click in and discover what's because tumors sort of hide themselves that's the hard thing like Everyone goes, oh, you're just, not everyone, but people think, oh, sure, you just strengthen your immune system. That works itself out. But they're, no, they're no. nasty little bastards yeah. that hide themselves from the immune system. So, I mean, in an ideal world, my body would figure this out. But um, yeah, I'm sort of using all the tools at my disposal to keep the tumor load as, as low as possible, mm. And just be as healthy as possible.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like we were talking about before, just con- you know, control the controllables. So, can, did Joe come with you when you went for that first hospital visit? Yeah.
1: So she, she had been. So this was the other absolute mindfuck around, um, the initial diagnosis and COVID. I couldn't go anywhere with another person because <laughs> right. we were in.
0: Yeah, stage four, but bear in
1: before. Bear in mind, we were in washing your bread bags <laughs> from the supermarket bus. You remember that? Like, oh, yeah,
0: it was intense. It was
1: like you come back from you're wearing gloves at the supermarket, masks, you come home, you're washing everything. You've got quarantine areas yeah. in your house. No one knew what was going on. Yeah, it was terrifying. So it was you couldn't have support people at chemo, scans or anything um I could for my specialist appointments which was an absolute joy um but I mean she was there every step of the way sitting in the car I've got two young kids so trying to keep things as um sane for the kids as possible while no one's being able to leave the house so it was intense it was really intense and The main thing is, I'm blessed for my family and my friends who just circled the wagons and looked after everything, everything.
0: Well, I mean, I think this is the a case of you reap what you sow. So, like, what you're getting now is um, accumulation, I guess, of the the work that you've done and the love that you've given out your entire life. Yeah, and that's
1: what I've always been about is love. And um, it's something that I sort of uh, got across in the the interview, which I'm very about is I'm not a fuck cancer, I'm fighting cancer guy. I actually am it's just a part of me that's gone haywire. It's cells and me that have gone haywire and yes. um, I'm just trying to send love to it and um just the 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 process of love and giving out love does create. Um, A better space It's almost like the idea of um, I love the idea of Doing good deeds for people And not telling them about the good deeds Just doing it Then they think the world's a better place Because good things are happening to them So then they in turn think the world's a better place So they act like the world's a better place So it's just giving... Just sending some goodness out into the world because should it needs it at the moment, like I mean it. It's if no matter what side of things you sit on, COVID just created an even more Mm. divisive time. Let alone the way politics, everything seems to have gone into very tribalism or our camp against their camp and so forth, and and so. If you can put a bit more love out there, I'm into that.
0: Absolutely. And you're, you're, so you you got two kids, Charlie and Lucy. How, how old are they?
1: They are 10 and 7. Right. And
0: what, are they, what are they like? Good kids? Are, yeah. they, are, they, are they similar or are they quite different? Very
1: different. Yeah. Um, I I sort of have so much in common with my son. He's a little legend. He's just started playing. Um,
0: so he's the elder. Yeah, yeah,
1: he's 10. He's just started playing rugby last year and um, he's so into it and we just share a lot of um, interests and then Lucy's so cheeky and funny and they're just – being a parent is something that I'd sort of always wanted to do but I had no idea how to do. So I <laughs> don't
0: think anyone does. No, do that? so yeah, it's,
1: it is just figuring it out yeah. and it was hard, man. It was really hard um, and – then it's just sort of working itself out and i think it's becoming easier mainly because i'm figuring out who i am yeah. and i'm figuring out what triggers me and how to avoid triggers and yeah. and those sort of things so i think i think not enough people spend time learning who they are and for me that can only happen when i turn off TV, put down my phone, step away from computer or iPad or whatever and just sit. Mm-hmm. Not meditate, just sit and sort of figure out who I am. And What do you mean, just down. on
0: your own? Just on your
1: own? Yeah, yeah I like. I, I, I recommend people just sit down because people are scared of...
0: Their own thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: but there's nothing to be scared of mm-hmm. of your own thoughts. They're just, they're just electrical firings that come and go. Memories are just electrical firings mm-hmm. that come and go. They may or may not be right, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I remember, I have memories sometimes. I'll, I'll talk to a mate about, say, filming Insert or something, and then they have a slight different memory of how it went down. It's still broadly the same mm-hmm. thing, but it's amazing how wrong eyewitness accounts. <laughs> yeah, uh, you yeah, know, yeah. like, so it's like it's like, wow, I might... Remember things wrong or whatever, mm. so they're just they're just mental firings mm. in your in your mind.
0: So, um, when you get the diagnosis, how long after that do you do you tell the kids, or what what like what are you and your wife telling? Straight the kids? away, do you? pretty much? What do you say though? How do you?
1: Well, it's it's all about short term stuff because that's all this is, yes. is like yeah. so, it's about I'm in treatment to this, then I will have a break. I've got the summer off. I might have to have a bit more treatment this is what I'm dealing with, uh, I might need some surgery, um, bite for information, basically giving... What
0: they can process.
1: Yeah, not, adults like to over-talk too much. It's sort of, I like to broadly lay out what's going on and then a- answer any questions mm. that they have. And you've got to be very careful, I think, talking to other people's children. So that, that's the worry I had about... Going public is I don't want people coming up and talking to my children about it because people often come in with the best of intentions with things and then
0: yeah, s- now I, I, say would, the I wrong would sit thing. here and say who the fuck would do that, but there are people that yeah, would Yeah, there right? are.
1: There are. And they might think they're they're helping, helping but, but they're not. It's like um mm. it's like if someone tells you they have cancer, don't don't tell your story of how your auntie had cancer. Because that's what people do. They mm. they you. Someone's talking about something. And you go. I know something. I yeah. have a related question.
0: Yeah, and I think it comes from a genuine place. But
1: yeah, it does come from a good place ninety percent of the time. But everyone's cancer story is different. Mm. So I don't need to hear about your auntie's yeah. story. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll I'll talk I'll talk to your auntie about that because yeah. like. I, I feel I suddenly do have a bond with, if I bump into someone who's going through a similar journey to me, you do sort mm. of have the, yeah, well, it's a bit like the war, you know, how like people have been fought in the war, come back and they relate to other mm. people who have been there because you can't explain it. Yeah. I mean, unless you've been the partner of someone who, who you've sort of been there or you've been like a support person who's been through this, you've taken on some of that trauma. Mm-hmm. But there's so much trauma yeah. there. And I feel like I've addressed the trauma as it was happening, which is good, and I feel like I've come out without... Too many, too much PTSD. But I'll talk to you after a massive mushrooms trip, and then I'll see whether I've. <laughs> you, you that's the next step for me. Is it actually? Yeah, I definitely want to do a therapeutic mushroom right, journey
0: right. in a controlled environment. Yeah, controlled.
1: Yeah. I've done plenty of psychedelics in my life, and um,
0: I feel like yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't freak out. You even though you've been clean and sober for many years now, you'd better Yeah, I think there's. there's I, I don't.
1: Lo- I don't look at um therapeutic mushrooms is like breaking a sobriety thing. Um, but then I'm also aware of time and place and there's so many factors that need to be right in that. Mm. And I just noticed Australia's actually just suddenly made MDMA and uh, mushrooms legal.
0: Have they? What states? Yeah, oh what? no, <laughs> I I,
1: I, th- I saw that as a post yesterday. <laughs> then I did a bit of a dive and went, oh no, there's a lot of caveats right, on Right, right,
0: so I can't just fly to Canberra. It's, right? it's <laughs> not party pills at the
1: dairy, this is... <laughs> Um, I think they've just legalised it for use in therapy.
0: Right, okay, oh, that Um, makes sense. Oh, that's a good step in the right direction. And
1: then, of course, there's – then I started looking into it. Then I listened to this horrific podcast series about how bad, how wrong it can go of Mm. therapists abusing their patients and – Preying on vulnerable people, Jesus. So, as with any edi- whenever there's anything good, <laughs> yeah, there's humans a will find the bad yeah. side
0: to it. Have um, do you think you've changed? I mean, you, as we've discussed a few times through this podcast, like you've been a great guy all along. But do you think you've changed as a like a husband and father?
1: Yeah, I um, so I love change. I've always loved change, and the only thing in this life that's guaranteed is change. Yeah. Things are going to change and we're just energy, we're made of energy, and that energy changes constantly. I have really, really worked on being a better husband and In what father. way? Not, uh, coming, not coming from a, a point of view of I'm a bad yeah,
0: yeah. husband or father. Just be better, 10% better?
1: Yeah, just try and be a better person, realise that, that my temper, I got short and then I dealt with that interaction badly or um, they're a bit shitty at me instead of it's their problem, what happened, trying to unbiasedly look at things. And, you know, relationships are hard. Yeah, Um, Friendships are hard to be,
0: you know, like it takes... And also, yeah, as we've as we've said, no one no one has a bad word to say about you, and no one has a bad interaction with you. But human nature—you tend to save your worst behavior for the people you love the most.
1: Yeah, because well, <laughs> they see you at the hardest times. Yeah, you yeah. snap at people. Um, you misread things. I mean, my wife and I both work at our, our relationship, which is why I, I believe it's in the strongest point it has been even though we're in the hardest point, maybe, Mm. that it has been. And um, because not only did we have that cancer diagnosis, we were dealing with what so many parents were dealing with of homeschooling, being around people too much. You know, both my Mm. wife and I thrive by ourselves. We need... Alone, alone time. I, get I love being alone. You know, I'd rather travel internationally by myself than with someone else. Not, not with, Like I'd love to do it with my wife. But when I was younger, yeah. I wouldn't want to go on an OAE with a mate. I'd rather do it by myself. I'm that kind of guy. She's very similar. Mm. So being alone makes us better people. <laughs> so I would, during chemo and that, I would go out to Piha for two days at the end of a chemo session because often after chemo, I found for my, my journey, the two days after chemo were harder than when your body was purging everything. Yeah. So I'd go out to Pihar, ch- chill out, be in nature as much as I can. Yeah, you love that place. Get in the water. I love the place. Yeah. I love the bush. I love the ocean. Um, If anything, this journey away from booze and towards health, has uh, towards a sort of full, final healing, nature is the answer to mm. me. And finding intuition and listening, the whole way through it, I've always been interested in fasting, and fasting kept popping, popping up in my mind. And then I was, you've got to listen to this. And I was like, shit, fasting might mm. actually be a massive tool for me in this and now I've sort of embraced it what I'm doing through the next three months is doing longer fasts of sort of doing a three-day and a five-day fast once a month and I because it helped me so much in chemotherapy and so I've sort of been investigating that and studying the science behind that and I'm blessed to have a dad who wasn't only an actor, he was a scientist at the DSAR, he was a forensic toxicologist.
0: That's right, didn't he? He
1: introduced the breathalyser. The breathalyser, he <laughs> one of the people introducing <laughs> the breathalyser. Fun fact. So, so I always had this massive respect for science and s- studying, so I enjoy finding the science behind things. It also gives you a sceptical mind of trying to prove things. Mm. So I'm not. I I like finding things, trying to listen to my intuition, listening to your gut. You have all the knowledge you need to live inside. You, you don't need to keep looking things up on the internet, yeah, I yeah. think. This goes back to that just sit and listen to yourself, mm. you know. Looking at the geniuses in history, they just come up with these genius ideas, you know. Like they yeah. have this knowledge inside of them mm. and I think humans now because we have the joy of the internet which has so many goods we outsource a bit of our knowledge mm. when when in terms of living you have an internal knowledge
0: yeah so stage four when people hear that they they, you must see it when people people see you they give you eyes of pity
1: yeah it freaks people out because yeah. also I am um, I Another reason why I wanted to be public Was I sort of told a mate Who I bumped into Who I hadn't seen for five years And you know They almost fell over mm. Whereas I was quite blasé about it Because I've been living <laughs> You've
0: told the story so many times Yeah I've been
1: living and, yeah. with it And so it sort of I passed on the information Stage four just means It is moved from one place to another so,
0: it's not
1: a death sentence. No, stage four is just it's moved from one place to another, so it's treatable. I think also the fact is now people live a lot longer with advanced mm. cancer, um, so I'm not. I'm. I'm not one. And who's into timelines and yeah. I don't Google things and this percentage of people did this because everyone's cancer journey is so different. Everyone's health journey is so different. What yeah. works for you might not work for somebody else. This tip worked amazingly for someone it might not work for me. So this is just something I'm going through. I've built up a toolbox of things that help me. Um you know i this is where over t- over time and i'm sort of putting together a, a a talk that has the tools in there and sort of i'm trying to figure out at the moment what tools worked for me that that were a little the a personalized or whatever and yeah, and and a, a, a not a protocol but but a toolbox i could Give other people to help either in a work environment or a health environment, yeah. or just well, making yeah. the day easier.
0: Yeah, well, I feel like the things that you're you're doing, like the meditation and uh, yeah, the mindfulness, and just watching what you eat and or, or, and, and sobriety. I think that they could help anyone, whether you whether you've got a disease or not.
1: Yeah, and and um, just it's getting into that state, which you'd know with when you're doing long distance. Running, where you're never trying to focus on one thing, like in terms of the fact that you know you're you're three k's in to a forty odd k race, and you've got a little niggle on your toe or whatever, and then you just start <laughs> going, okay, three thirty seven more k's on this toe, and this is giving <laughs> me a bit of jip now. You can't just focus on that. Getting into a mental state where you can move past that, you can, um, you can focus on the broader picture, and this is where I, I, I love, I, I, I get a bit fascinated with ultra sort of athletes like Rich Roll, who has a oh he's an amazing podcast, amazing podcast. He just has amazing people on it. Um, these sort of ultra athletes that go, are uh, Led Hamilton, uh, the big wave the surfer. surfer yeah. These people who just take put their bodies under horrendous um, horrendous sort of stress and how they they deal with that and um Rich Roll actually had a guest on called Tony Riddle I think his name is and he um, he ran he ran all these peaks and in, in the UK in bare feet he's all about rewilding and
0: Oh, yeah, take, grounding with the earth, taking yeah. things
1: back to nature, and I read his book, and it actually it gave me a lot of things. So I'm someone who I love learning, mm. and but then I also love trusting,
0: trusting myself. Absolutely, and what's next, work-wise? It seems like you're not slowing down.
1: No, I'm. I'm. Um, I'm doing a TV show that will. Um, that will all become apparent. I can't to, really to do talk with, about to
0: do with the diagnosis.
1: No, no, no. Oh, I, I'm, I've got something like that in the yeah. works, which is I'm working on. It's a hard thing to frame. Um. So I've got, I'm sort of working on that. I'm doing a couple of other projects. I'm doing a lot of live gigs. I, it was a trip actually last week. I did the interview on a Friday. Then I, the next Friday, I had a stand up gig in New Plymouth, public stand up gig, and I was like this is going to be a massive mindfuck for me, going on stage, having this double for people have seen me, seen the interview, oh, yeah. what's the vibe going to be like? So I rang up Scotty at the Classic and went, can I just go on stage for a few minutes on Wednesday? I need to get onto a stage and figure oh, out. Oh, so
0: like rehearse in a way? or, yeah, or just, just, figure the out what the,
1: just figure out what the vibe is. Right. And what my vibe is. And on Wednesday, I went out. I stupidly then decided to do all new material as well as just figure (laughs) out. So I wasn't like, go out, get the vibe, then hit a few jokes I know were. So I went out, and that was okay, a bit of a shambles, and it freaked me out. But then Why
0: did it freak you out?
1: Because I didn't know how to frame the. Cancer thing because it's like going into something heavy, then going out into jokes is quite hard, especially when it's so personal. Mm. And I've got so much to say, but it needs to be condensed. So I Wednesday was a bit weird. Then just went out in front of this crowd in New Plymouth, who were so beautiful and had the most amazing—probably one of the top five gigs of my life. Really. You know you know as a stand up you know it's been a good gig when I went 5 minutes over my time came off and went oh shit there was all three jokes I didn't do so that's when I know it's just been fun where I've been riffing I had a bit of cancer chat I um it just was amazing so then that went oh I'm just back massively back in love with stand up so I got a few shows um Coming up, got a few corporate gigs. I've got a nice little balance. You love being busy
0: though, right? Yeah, I
1: love being busy with things I love doing. Um, I'm playing cricket, I've always played cricket, I play cricket every Monday night. Back doing that. Um, and then in May, we'll scan, we'll see what the situation is. Might need some more treatment, might not, but. I'm just gonna um, keep taking every day as it comes.
0: Yeah, well, you seem so um, optimistic about staying healthy or even recovering. So the um, these these last few questions might work, might not. But um, I thought about you the other day. The the, the book um, by Mark Manson, Subtle Out of Giving a Fuck." Have you read that
1: book? Yeah, I have. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a quote in there, and um, I was reading this up after um, watching the interview you did with Jackie Brown, and I um I actually I started welling up like thinking about you when I read this. The more I think about my own death, the brighter life gets, the quieter the world becomes, the easier decisions become.
1: Yeah, I um, I recommend everyone meditate on their own death every day. Because
0: have you did you do this pre diagnosis or no?
1: Not really. I was no. aware of it, but it massively puts things into perspective. <laughs> yes, it yeah. massively. If you've got a decision of something you'd want to do or don't want to do have it taking a bit of time to just sort of think when I'm, when I'm on that deathbed or whatever, Mm -hmm. will I be glad I did this? Or, um, I I just think it's, it is a great way of crystallizing life and not in a negative, not in a negative way, but I think it's a thing of being aware of the clock can make you appreciate the moments more. I mm. think. Just be aware of the the clock. The clock.
0: Well, for any one of us, you never know when that clock's going to well, run that's, out. Do you? That's but the that's
1: the thing. What I've got, you know, I don't know whether that's going to be the thing that gets me. Mm. You know. You know, like <laughs> that's the thing. There's plenty of stories of people living way past their diagnosis. Absolutely. There's. there's you know, you see so many tragedies from even the recent flooding people passed mm. away, you know. They weren't expecting that. Yeah. Peter Blake didn't think he'd be killed by pirates in the Amazon, you know. Like, <laughs> the crazy shit happens. Yeah, so no one saw that So just coming. live every mm. moment you can. And it's so cliche, the word mindfulness now.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, it is. It's... It's been so adopted by the sort of inspo, um, fitspo, um, Instagram influencer buzz, you know, mindful in a beautiful font and shit just... But actually being a bit more mindful about the food you eat, Mm. the exercise you do, how many times you pick up your phone, all that shit... Your interactions with people are words you say to people. Just take a bit more intent, I suppose. Mindfulness. I think intention's a bit a better word for me. I'm just trying to do things with intention. Like when I pick up a phone, what's my intention here? Because you know, so many times I'll go, "Oh, should I got to reply to that email?" Then all of a sudden, um,
0: hey, what am I doing on my yeah? Uh, and then I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm on an Instagram,
1: and that's I've just looked at Twitter, and it's then been an hour, and then someone mentioned, Oh, you should t- t- check out turkey tail mushrooms now. I'm googling them, and I'm like, <laughs> What
0: is that? Oh, they're amazing, okay. by the <laughs> way.
1: Um, but then I'm like, Oh, I haven't even replied to that email. Well, so, like, intentionally going right, I'll reply to this email, I'll put my phone back down. It's hard, I'm not good at it, but I'm I'm just but trying to... But
0: if you're aware of it, suddenly you become better at it. By force yeah, it, so it.
1: intention is yeah. something, and that's something I struggled a lot around food. I just love, I'm a real foodie, mm. so I just, <laughs> I have a sweet tooth, I have a pizza tooth, I have every, I don't <laughs> even know the, if that's a phrase. I've got all the all teeth. teeth. <laughs> so, so actually really focusing um, for me dialing in on nutrition mm. and vitamins and minerals and really dialing in on that has been an interesting yeah. journey.
0: Are you sure you want to do these fasts? <laughs> I
1: I love fasting. Yeah, yeah. And but the thing is doing it properly like mm. cuz the idea is still having um making sure all your nutrients are right and and everything so so for me it's a massive project and it's something that i i want to do properly because i wanted to do figure out something i'll see if this can help me i'll do it for three months and then i'll scan and then i'll know it might not work for everyone but i'll know
0: if it works for you
1: then i'll go okay cool this is a way i can live that can slow
0: yeah this, yeah, this thing down and what are you what are you scared of
1: I'm scared, I mean, outside of roller coasters. Well,
0: <laughs> um, oh, we're all scared of them. Apart from the corkscrew at Rainbow's yeah. there, that's nothing
1: to be scared no, of. No, although I did punch my cousin on that once because I was too scared. When I get scared, I start punching people. <laughs> right, it's a bad right. train. Um, um, I, I suppose I'm scared of, of going without giving all I have to give, like I have. I feel there's so much I have to give as a parent. I feel I've got a young boy and I think navigating the world as a male with compassion and love and sharing your feelings and that is very important. So trying to, trying to, to help my son on a journey of masculinity is something that I really want to do so I have a fear of not being able to do that um and and not being th- there for my kids I suppose is a fear but then I think that's a fear of a lot of lot of adults but mine might be a bit more crystallized um
0: that's so unselfish
1: yeah I but that's what because the thing is when I'm gone it doesn't affect me I, you know I don't I don't have any fear of death because it's that, death, out of the whole of life death's the easy part Like that's just comes and it happens but it's the it, it's the being, it's I suppose it's being there because for me I get so much joy out of people and helping people or um, just being with people so not being I suppose not being there but then if you think about not being there for people, that actually comes back to your own ego. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Because
1: you're just really rating yourself.
0: But you, but you, you no, but you, and you, you, you probably should because you do brighten up every room you walk into. Yeah, and I you love, make every room that much better.
1: I love, there's nothing better than just coming in to, this is what I love my job of whenever I go into. Radio station. When I go in to do commentary work that I do, um, just going and talking rubbish with people and having a laugh is so much fun, and and bringing some happiness to people mm. is awesome. So as long as I can keep doing that, um, I've won. And and I I grew up with a lot of fear. I think I was scared, I was pretty scared of things. Of um. Things in the night, I was scared of robbers I was just quite scared of things which, roller-, roller coasters isn't Yeah it roller coasters, <laughs> I think everyone's scared of things yeah. I don't have much fear Now, this Diagnosis has taken a lot of fear Away mm-hmm. from me Because I've. I was, the, the one thing I was more Scared of in my life than anything Was cancer, I'd fast forward through Cancer In shows, I, I ne- I've never watched the first Season of Breaking Bad um, one because it's fucking rubbish compared to the rest of the season. Uh, just thought I'd get one controversial thing in there. Uh, but, um, no, because cause of the cancer plot. And um, mm. now I, I've not only faced it, um, I've faced the hardest parts of it and I've chosen not to suffer because um, you can – You can go through the hardness Like physically it's hard Physically it hurts I've been cut open everywhere I've done this chemo And that hurts But I chose not to suffer through any of it um, Because you can choose whether to suffer or not and I'm not someone who so wants to... Su-
0: suffering's this. a different thing to pain? Yeah,
1: suffering's thing. the mental right. thing of... It's very easy. Uh, I find it could be easy to get into the woe is me.
0: Oh, so suffering is oh, not an, an attitude. Say, oh, I've got this.
1: I'm um, affliction. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, this fucking hurts. Mm. How am I going to deal with this pain and move on from this? But And for me, dealing with it is looking it straight in the eyes. Dealing with every dark thought and acknowledging every bit of darkness.
0: Are you braver and less of a wuss than what you maybe thought you were?
1: Yeah, Yeah. hard out. I I, I, I would faint. I fainted (laughs) at a lab test getting a normal blood test. That's how scared of needles I was. The first time I had to have an inject... You'd be of the same age and stage of when you're like 11 getting those...
0: Oh, tetanus or whatever it was. Yeah,
1: like at school they came round and injected you and um, girls got a different one, the MMR and tetanus. Yeah, Yeah, I do remember
0: that. And so
1: we, for some reason, were given them in front of assembly. You'd all walk up onto stage and get injected. I'd love to see the anti-vaxxers talk about that back in the day. You'd walk on stage at school and get injected. And... And I fainted and fell over in front of the whole school. I um and then now I don't even think about it. So yeah. as shit it's made me stronger and it's also made me realise um what fear is and how to overcome fear. Yeah.
0: Yeah I think I'm much the same as you I've lived most of my life in fear And it's held me back from doing things That I I look back now from the perspective of being a 50 year old man It's like why didn't I just do that Do that anyway It's amazing
1: how uh, how age gives you That sort of one You give less of a fuck Mm. And two you're less scared Mm. And you look back and go those opportunities, why didn't I just go Yeah, in? I should have
0: just done it. What was the worst that could have happened? No, yeah,
1: I'm, and that thing also, you know, with opportunities, of why didn't I just ask them? Yeah, why didn't I just put myself out there? Because you're scared, and then you realise they could have just say no.
0: That's so true. My, my fears are different now. My fears are like if the if the tiled steps are wet. Yeah, I'm fearful <laughs> of walking down them in my all birds. <laughs> Do you have any regrets?
1: Um, it's weird. There's things. You know, you know, cringe drunk moments that mm. you think back on. I, I was actually thinking the other day whether I, um, regretted my drinking, whether I regretted, you know, those moments you think back and go, oh, I thought that was a funny joke, but I was just, that could have been a bit mean. Yeah, <laughs> that was a bit, yeah. Um.
0: Oh, I'm pleased you do that too.
1: Yeah. And, oh. but then I went, then I sort of keep coming back to this, um, Uh, point of going actually no all those moments got me to this moment and I'm really happy where I am here I regret um my flatmate being asleep and me being really hammered and putting um full noise fireworks under his duvet and lighting them and then in hindsight I could have killed him and burned down the flat that is how old were you then oh Early 20s. Oh, okay,
0: old enough to know better. Oh, yeah, and the, the amount of things like young dudes do like that, and you think that could have been... You know, I, sp- I think back
1: on that, actually, and, like, now, at the time, it was <laughs> like, fuck, that went too far. But you think back and go, that is like killing someone and burning a house down situation. And so that's the thing I definitely regret.
0: You're still friends with that person?
1: Yeah. Best friends. Oh, is that right? That shows Who how... Who is it? Apologise to them now. <laughs> they're, they're, oh, I've apologised many, many times.
0: When Don't it, worry,
1: it has not when, been forgotten.
0: When um, when did you start to regret that? Like, was it immediately afterwards or uh, when you had kids? Just or? as
1: I lit the fuse. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no going back with fireworks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my fucking god. Oh that is outrageous. Oh that is so lucky. That's, yeah. that's dodging a bullet shit there for him and for you. Yeah, absolutely. Change the trajectory of so many lives.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um and and last one, I, I know you're into um uh like Eastern sort of spirituality and Buddhism. Um but what are you, what are your thoughts about um an afterlife or anything? What happens?
1: It's actually something I think about. I don't think I don't think there's an afterlife in terms of, ha- of you functioning in any way like you do on this earth, um, in terms of how your brain works, how thoughts work. I think there's definitely something that's beyond space and time that creates energy. Everything in the universe is energy. We are just energy that then turn into a different type of energy. I definitely believe in more of a global consciousness and I sort of believe that when you die, your conscious goes into the consciousness. But I don't know what happens. I don't think you communicate with people and who you used to know and that sort of thing. I think you just go into space. I, I, I'm really intrigued to see what happens. But um, no, I, I just think you go back into the energy of the universe. And I love space. I love the universe. I think we are just blessed to be here and I think people need to look at the miracle of earth and life and just step back from day-to-day conflicts and all that and go fuck this is pretty amazing
0: yeah and we're only here for a very short time on the oh, scheme of things
1: even if you live the longest yeah, life absolutely. it's a
0: dot absolutely Hey, well, man, it's been um, wonderful having you over here today.
1: Oh, such a pleasure, Dom.
0: I'm um, really sorry that you, of all people, are going through this at the moment, um, but thanks for sharing your stories and your lessons. Hopefully you'll be around for a long time yet.
1: Yeah, hopefully I'll come back and have another chat on <laughs> how to cure cancer.
0: <laughs> well, if anyone can, man. <laughs> I, I mean, you're sitting in front of me at the moment. You look as good and as well and as healthy as what I've ever seen you before. That's
1: all I'm trying to do. You're, so
0: Plump, red cheeks.
1: Yep. A bit of ruddy sunshine, <laughs> just preparing for the next cyclone. Yeah.
0: No, but congratulations on everything you've done. You've been like an absolute treat for New Zealand for the last 20 years, and it's been so much fun like watching your progression um, over those years. And long may it continue.
1: Oh, thanks, Dom.
0: Love you, Di. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much for listening all the way through this episode of Runners Only with Dom Harvey and Di Henwood. What do you think? Uh, Let me know, you can email me anytime you want, domharveynz at gmail.com, or track me down on Instagram, domharveynz. I really appreciate any comments you've got, any feedback, any guest suggestions, absolutely anything at all, good or bad, but mainly good. Some bad's okay, but mainly good. Thank you very much to Radix Nutrition for making this episode possible. Radix Nutrition is made in the Waikato and shipped anywhere in the world. Their protein powders are incredible, but it's worth going to their website, having a look around, and seeing the other stuff they make and do as well. And if you don't do protein shakes already, you really should try. I genuinely believe this. It's not just for gym junkies and juice heads. The truth is, all of us could do with more protein in our diets to help preserve any muscle you already have, which is important, especially as you get older. You can check them out at radixnutrition.co.nz, R-A-D-I-X, and please support the people that support the podcast. All right, thanks again, and hope to see you next week on Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.